Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We're going to be in a, uh, a familiar passage tonight, but I want to preach uh, something a little bit, I think, um, a little bit different. Uh, topically as to what's taking place in the passage, but as he's getting those out, you ever noticed how many prayer requests we have? You ever noticed that? Uh, I think about even a a night like tonight, we could say, all right, uh, how many of you have a prayer request? And everybody's hand would go up. And okay, let's, let's start going through those. And you know, your midweek service is usually your, your prayer service. And um, I remember growing up as a teenager um, with our church there in Lakewood when my dad was the pastor. Uh, there, there hit a point when I was a teen that my dad quit receiving prayer requests uh, on the midweek, the midweek Bible study. Uh, he, he quit receiving them. He said, you need to call the office and turn those in because if he didn't do that, then the prayer request time would come and, and the prayer request time would take 30 or 45 minutes, just people raising their hand, you know, and, oh, would you pray for my neighbor? My neighbor's dog got hit by a car. I'm, oh, well, all right, well, we're gonna pray for your neighbor's dog and then someone hand, and that's a fine request, but then it'd be, well, you know, I got a cousin who, uh, whose best friend, one time he said the funniest thing to me and then they'd, just go down a rabbit trail and take five minutes to just say, uh, you know, pray for my hangnail, you know. And uh, so it hit a point where my dad was like, you know, too many prayer requests on that night. And you ever notice how many prayer requests we mention? But then have you ever maybe stopped to think how many prayer requests you and I give to the Lord? We give a lot, don't we? That's a good thing, isn't it? As a matter of fact, actually, the Bible tells us. Uh, you, can, you can look up the verses. They're kind of referenced right there on your handout. Uh, but Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Uh, you have uh, on your handout Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. There's like three things to pray for in that verse. I mean, there, you can look in scripture. God said, I want to hear all of your requests. I want to hear all of your requests. So having a lot of prayer requests is a good thing. But did you know that Jesus, he only gave one prayer request? Oh, he prayed for a lot of things, but Jesus actually only gave one prayer request, one thing that he said, I want, I want you to pray for this. We, we pray for a lot of things. We ask people to pray for a lot of things. You have your handout tonight. There's a lot of prayer requests on there. But Jesus said, I'm, I'm gonna bring it all down to one prayer request. I want you to take that thought, put it to the side just for a second. And I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever asked somebody to pray for you or to pray for something and you see them later and they go, oh, I'll be praying for that. I haven't yet, but I will. And you're thinking, you already told me you would pray for that. Anybody, have you ever done that? You ever had it happen to you? And we've all done that, where somebody asks us to pray for something and we, we forget to pray for it or we just neglect praying it. I think tonight that, if we'd be honest with ourselves, 
the one prayer request that Jesus gave is often one of the prayer requests that we neglect. It's one of the prayer requests that we forget to bring into our life. It's one of the prayer requests. I mean, this is a prayer request from Jesus. Hey, please pray for this. I wanna talk with you tonight about Jesus simply saying, I have one request, I got one prayer request. And I wanna challenge us to not be a church or a group of people that neglect that. Neglecting that one prayer request. And then we'll tie it in into our outreach time and all of that. So take your Bible, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter number five, or excuse me, chapter number nine. Matthew chapter number nine. I wanna look at verse number 35. Matthew 9, 35, and Jesus, he went about all cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Here's my prayer request. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. One prayer request from the Lord and it has to do with praying for the harvest. Praying for the harvest, praying for the harvest and praying for laborers in the harvest. And tonight I want to talk with us about that. I want to challenge us not to neglect it. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, thank you for the day. I want to thank you for the passage before us and how challenging it is. And God, I pray that tonight that you would use the words that I speak, that they would be your words and not mine. I pray, Lord, that you would make the application in our heart that you desire. And Father, I pray that you would help us tonight to be challenged Lord, to be challenged to just reach people around us and to pray for the lost to be saved, to pray for laborers in the harvest field. And Lord, I just want to uh, thank you again for this passage, and I pray that you'd use it. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, when we come to Matthew chapter number nine, there's a couple of things that we can find. So just kind of let's, let's get a little bit of background. I'll give you some stories. You'll recall the stories, but they, they all kind of lead up to the passage before us. The maniac of Gadara. We would mainly read about that in Mark chapter number five. Uh, of the maniac. And of course, uh, I think Matthew actually records that there were two maniacs there, two crazy men that got delivered of demons, over 2,000 demons, some believe even up near three to 5,000 demons that were in uh, this one or these two men. And so Jesus was in the area of Decapolis. Decapolis would be that northern region of the Sea of Galilee. He is healed. Uh, He has healed this man specifically, this maniac of Gadara, casting all the demons out. And then if you recall the story, Mark chapter number five, the townspeople, they come and uh, almost like they're, they're scared of, in their minds, it's sorcery, almost witchcraft, like this man, how does he have this power? They're scared of what Jesus did, and so they plead with him, please go away. So Jesus sails back across the Sea of Galilee. He sails to uh, Capernaum. From Capernaum, Jesus would, he would do some miracles with um, uh, um, the Syrophoenician woman and then the, uh, um, oh goodness, one of the rich, not the rich young ruler, but one of the um, Roman soldiers. What's his name? 
centurion, thank you. Uh, he would do a work in the centurion's life. And then Jesus would travel to Nazareth. In Nazareth of his hometown, of course, he wouldn't be received. He would go away from there. But then following leaving Nazareth, the, the popularity of Jesus has grown. He's By this time, it's about halfway through the ministry of Christ. A lot is taking place. The, uh, he's increasing in his following. And so as Jesus leaves Nazareth, even, even though the uh, religious leaders in Nazareth didn't receive him, the people were receptive of him. And so we know that because the passage before us is Jesus leaving Nazareth. And who is following Christ? Well, the Bible says multitudes of people. Multitudes of people, multitudes of people are following Jesus, and it's it's with those multitudes that Jesus uses uh, the he uses them as kind of a visual lesson for his disciples, but then also he uses them to give this one prayer request. And so, I want to just say this though very quickly: uh, How many of you are you would consider yourself a people person? Raise your hand. You're a people person. How many of you don't like people? Raise your hand. All right. Good, good. There's a few of you. Uh, you'd say, well, I like people. I just don't like being around people. Uh, Hannah and I, we joke about this often because we're opposites. I'm, I'm energized by being around people. And that's always, it's always been just the way of, of Dennis Fountain. I think I get it from my dad. Being around people is energizing and I can, I could leave completely refreshed. I can be around hundreds of people and go home and be like, man, wasn't that awesome? I had such a great time. Hannah's not that way. Hannah can be around a whole group of people, and uh, and I just hit a point. We'll be some. We'll be at a you know a party or something like that, and I'll hit a point. And I'll be like, "Where'd my wife go?" And later I get home. I'll be at church. I'll, I'll get home and be like, "Hey, I, I, you you left?" And she's like, "Yeah, I just I just just I hit my max." And now I know what that means. I used to not know. He's like, "Hit your max? What? What are you talking about?" But she's like, "I hit I hit my quota." My max of, of people time. And there's certain people that, that it's just that way. You, you kind of have that moment where I've been around people enough, I need a break. Truth be told, all of us get that way. Even outgoing people. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go back, and we, we're not gonna take the time to do it, but if we research the life of Jesus probably about two weeks leading up to what we read in Matthew 9, we would find that Jesus has just been around a ton of people. He's been healing. He's been, uh, he's been persecuted a little bit, not beaten or anything, but uh, the people of Gadara pushing him away. And then uh, he was received when he reached the other side of Gadara. He's received by a tons of people. And uh, when they're out on the Sea of Galilee, literally boats are all kind of uh, parading around the, the boat that Jesus would have been in. I mean, it's just, it's just people after people after people after people. And every single one of us, we hit a point. And I don't know about you, but I, I have had that point when I'm seeing crowds and I'm thinking, I just want to sit on a beach all by myself right now. I just want to be somewhere alone. I personally think that if we were in Christ's position in this passage, that would be us. People, 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 people. We finally go... I, I'm, I'm done. I just, I've, I've hit my quota. But I want you to see tonight that Jesus didn't hit his quota. 
I want you to see tonight uh, a few things in our passage. And then I want us to look at this prayer request that Jesus gave. I want you to notice first off tonight from Matthew chapter number nine, that when Jesus is surrounded by these people, I want you to see that, I want you to see first off what Jesus saw. Number one, what Jesus saw. Verse number 36, the Bible says that when Jesus was there, he, he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. Jesus saw the multitudes. In order to see the multitude around him, Jesus would have had to have been um, aware of the multitude. You say, Pastor, what do you mean he had to be aware of the multitude? With that phrase, saw, it does not mean that he simply just had eyesight to look at them. The phrase saw means that right when Jesus looked upon them, he began to be burdened in his heart. And we're going to see the moved with compassion phrase in just a minute. But when he saw the multitude, it was a a processed seeing. It was a processed look. It was something that didn't just happen to say, oh, that's a lot of people. It was something to say, there's a lot of people and I need to help them. And they, they they are a burden on my heart. He saw the multitude. In order for him to see them, though, he had to be aware of them. Now, is there a difference between seeing somebody and being aware of them? Yes, every parent knows that. Your children can be in the room and you know they're in the room, but you're not aware of them. What is that? It's tuning them out. Every parent has done that. Every, uh, every one of us with a coworker or a boss, we've done that. Uh, if you have these things, you've done that more than you probably want to admit because as someone's talking, you pull it out and, oh, I'm sorry, did you say something? It's just me and you in the room. Yes, I said something. You know what, we've all had that happen. There's a difference between just seeing and being aware of. Being aware of somebody, when you're aware of somebody, you have not only knowledge of the fact that they're there, but you have knowledge of the fact that they might need your attention. I think Jesus, when he saw the multitude, he, he was aware of the multitude, but not only was he aware of them, that letter B right there, he gave attention to them. Jesus didn't just see them and be aware that they were there. He knew they need something from me. I love that about the life of Christ, and I love it especially when you come and look at like the Pharisees that would surround themselves around Christ. Um, I think specifically of Sunday when we were in Luke chapter number 15. And I think of Jesus sitting at the table with uh, the sinners and with the publicans, the tax collectors. I think of when Christ in Luke 19 is with uh, Zacchaeus or uh, other places when he's with uh, Levi, Matthew, when Matthew first trusts Christ and and people, the, the Pharisees are shocked that he would eat with publicans and sinners. I love that Jesus didn't just like do what I would probably have done. Because what you and I would do when people are around us that are annoying us, um, it's just kind of like give them the shoulder, give them the, I almost said the shoulder colder, give them the cold shoulder. Uh, you, you give them the cold shoulder, you just, uh, honestly, you know, if you're, if you're really fed up, you might even say something. Hey, would you guys just, hey, would you guys just shut up? Hey, would you guys just go away? Hey, Pharisees, like you, listen, you guys have, you have nothing to add to this. Just be quiet and go outside. You can listen, but just go away. I love that when a multitude was around Christ, Jesus didn't have that response to them. 
And whenever you see a multitude coming to Christ, I want you to uh, maybe help yourself kind of look into it to say, what kind of attention did he give to them? Because when Christ sees a multitude, that, that sight of them, it doesn't just affect him mentally to say, wow, there's a lot of people. No, it affected his heart to say, I'm aware of them and I'm going to give attention to them. And I'm glad that Jesus gives attention to everybody uh, because he gives attention to us. And I'm thankful to know that this week and in my heartache this week and in my burdens this week and in my frustration this week and in my excitement this week and in my joys this week, I'm glad to know that Jesus gave attention to it. I'm glad to know that Jesus didn't say, Dennis, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. No, I'm thankful today that Jesus said, Dennis, I am your rock. I am your redeemer. You can come to me. You can lean into me. You can pour your spirit and your heart and your words and your mind. You can give it all to me. And that's the, that's the type of sight that Jesus had on the multitude. He, he saw the multitude. So what did he do? Well, he saw. He didn't just see. He was aware and he gave attention to. But I want you to notice, secondly, tonight, what, what Jesus felt. What did Jesus feel when, when he was dealing with this multitude? He saw them. He's aware of them. What, what feeling flooded his heart? We read here that when Jesus saw the multitude, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. The word moved here, it means, it means to be stirred up. Um, if you're a person who drinks coffee, then you know that there's, there's a difference between um, different coffees. And uh, you can have, uh, now I'm going to get it all messed up. And my wife tells me I mess it up anyway, but I'd never worked at a coffee shop. Um, A macchiato, okay? A macchiato is a coffee that's not stirred, right? Is that right? A macchiato, you get the cream, you get the liquid in there, and then poured on top is the shots. A latte, however, a latte is something that is stirred, it's something that's stirred up. It's something that everything goes in and, and they mix it up for you. Some of you are like, well, I've had a macchiato that was stirred. Then that's not a macchiato, not a true <laughs> macchiato. You ladies that have cooked, you know that when you cook something and you tell your kids, all right, stir it in, the way your kids stir and the way you stir are probably totally different. The kids stir by just kind of going like that. Looks good. The way you stir is you, you put your back into it, put your arm into it, man, everything. What are you doing? You're stirring it up. Take that thought and think about this word that Jesus, he was moved with compassion. To stir in compassion. You know what happened when Jesus saw these people, what he felt, what, was, what, what feeling got stirred into his heart was the feeling of compassion a love for people. When Jesus saw them, it didn't just cause him to, to know they're there. No, he, he was aware of them. He gave attention to them and he felt compassion. He had compassion upon them. The word compassion we know would be the, the word that we would use of love. When Jesus looked at the people, he didn't look at them through a lens of annoyance. Jesus didn't look at these people through the, the lens of leverage. What could I get from them? Jesus looked at them through the lens of compassion, the lens of love.
I just want to apply this tonight very quickly to us and say that you and I as Christians, you know what we struggle with sometimes? We struggle with seeing people through the lens of compassion. We struggle with seeing a coworker that annoys us through the lens of compassion. We struggle with seeing a neighbor who's, you know, they, they, just, they just irritate us. We struggle with seeing them through the lens of compassion. And that friend and that, that uh, loved one, maybe uh, your own family. Look at people and, and we, we see them as annoyances. Or we see that business meeting as a leverage meeting. How can, I, how can I get one foot forward through this contact? How can I add this person into my repertoire of, of people that I know? We, we almost become uh, Christian politicians. You know what I mean by that? A lot of politicians, what do they do? Politicians use relationships as leverage. Right? How can I, if I know this person, what can they get me that would support my, my, my cause or support my direction or my, my platform? And if we're not careful, we lose sight of what people really are. And we lose, we lose the idea of being stirred with compassion. Jesus didn't lose that. He was made aware of them. He gave them attention. That's what he saw. But then he felt compassion for them. But I want you to notice also that he had concern for them. Jesus had a concern for these people. If you look at the verse in verse number 36, it says that he was moved with compassion on them. Why? It says because they fainted, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know what Jesus did? He looked at them and he saw them in three different ways. He saw them as faint. The word faint means weak, frail, or exhausted. Jesus, he saw these people as faint-hearted. He could see that they were uh, depleted spiritually. He saw that they were in a great need and really a great need for him. He saw that they were scattered abroad. The phrase scattered abroad, it means to be cast about or cast around. Uh, you and I might uh, use the phrase to be tossed around in life. You just kind of feel like life is a whirlwind or you're in a boat that's in a storm. And Jesus looked into the hearts of these people. Now remember, while he is seeing the outer appearance of these people, we know that Jesus as God could see their heart and could see what, what they were really in need of. And so when it says that he saw them as faint and as those that were scattered abroad, it's not just that they were weak physically, although I believe that also was true. But Jesus saw them as weak spiritually and as scattered abroad, that so many things have been thrown at them and they've been tossed around. But then it says also that they were a sheep having no shepherd. Well, what is a sheep without a shepherd? A sheep without a shepherd is, is helpless. A sheep without a shepherd is, is something that's hopeless. A, a sheep without a shepherd is someone that does not know their way, doesn't know the direction, someone that's completely lost. And so when Jesus looked at these people, what did he feel? He felt compassion for them and he felt concern for them. Concern for what? Concern for where they were spiritually. Not concerned for them physically. Oh, well, they're lost. Oh, they, that one, they belong in Capernaum. Oh, that family, they belong in, in Nazareth. They don't know that. No, no, no. Looking at them spiritually, Jesus said, I have a deep compassion for them. Why? Because they're going about through life and they don't have any guidance. They're weak. They're hurting. They're being cast around. And Jesus looked at these people and that, that vision of what he saw in their heart, it caused him to to be stirred up. It caused him to be moved with compassion and with concern.
So knowing what Jesus saw, knowing what Jesus felt, I want you to look at number three tonight and where we'll spend the next few minutes. I want you to look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus do based upon the multitude of people? I noticed first off tonight that this isn't in your notes, but I noticed Jesus using the situation to teach a lesson. It's just a little quick side thought, but I'm glad that Christ can use any situation to teach us a lesson. Mike and I were talking before about pastors that we respect that are really good at illustrations. And we have a couple of friends and I, uh, one pastor's in, in Nevada, one pastor's in Oklahoma, and they're, they're totally opposite pastors, just totally different in personality, in their churches and everything, just totally opposite. But they're both incredible people with illustrations. One's name is Josh, the other one is Jason. And uh, Jason, I've known him for 20, I don't know, 20 years, 19 years, something like that. Jason's one, like, I would listen to him preach. He's a little bit older than me. But I'd listen to him preach and I'd be like, yeah, that's happened to me before. He'd tell a story. He'd tell an illustration about his family or, or something. And I'm going, yeah, I've had that exact same thing happen. And then he would connect it to a truth in the word of God. And I would be like, I never would have thought about that, but that's a perfect illustration. And, you know, after I got in ministry, I'd pull out my phone and I'd start typing in my phone the illustration that he used. I'm like, I'm stealing that. That's a great illustration to make that point. You ever know those people that they can just bring in, a, they can tell you a story and they're really good at telling a story and then they can connect it to a life principle. Man, Jesus does that all of the time. He wants to help you and I connect story, connect our life, connect our life into the word of God. So what does he do? He uses, this, he uses this situation to help his disciples. What does he help them with? Well, look at verse number 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He uses a, um, a, a Words creates a picture. What's the words that he uses? Well, we just read them. What's the picture he creates? Uh, The picture is of a farm. The picture is of fields. Fields that are what? Fields that are, the harvest is plenteous. There's a lot of crop in the field. But then he also paints the picture of a lot of crop, but only one or two people out there harvesting. Hey, the harvest is plenteous. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of crop, but the laborers are few. We've been going through on Sunday mornings, and so that's one of the reasons we're not focusing in on it tonight. But just focusing, we've been focusing on Sunday mornings upon the fact that every single day, you and I are surrounded by the harvest. We're surrounded by crops. Oh, I'm not talking the fact that we live in an agricultural area here in Moses Lake. No, we're surrounded by people. People who need Jesus. People who are lost. Boys and girls and teenagers and and guys that are in their 20s and 30s and 40s just working the line and businessmen that are in their 50s and folks that are retired in their 60s and 70s and neighbors. And man, all of us, all of us pass people all the time that 
they're, they're lost. What are they? They are the harvest. And I think tonight we could all agree that the harvest really is plenteous. If I were to ask you, can you write down five people that you know that don't know Christ? Uh, I, I personally think that it would probably be hard for us not to write more than five. We just start writing names. You just start writing. You'd start writing Joe. You'd start writing Fred, Abigail, Susie. You just start writing names and you could know. Yep, them, yep, yep. And pretty soon we would have a list of hundreds of names. Just just from this group of, of what, 20 in here tonight, 25 of us? Just from this group, we could come up with hundreds of names of people that don't know Christ. And if we said, we'll narrow it down to Moses Lake, we could narrow it down and still have hundreds and thousands of names of people that don't know Christ. What is that? The harvest is plenteous. But I want you to notice that second phrase that Jesus says when he says, but the laborers are few. What's that saying? There's not a lot of people out picking crops. There's not a lot of Christians out harvesting. There's not a lot of Christians that are out telling people about the Lord and going to the, the, the crop, going to the lost and telling them about Christ to, to hopefully bring them to the Lord. There's not a lot of Christians doing that. It's the laborers are few. And so what does Jesus give? He gives a solution. What's the solution? Pray for it. Pray for what? Letter A, pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. Well, what, what can we apply that to? I mean, I think, I think in, in the context, we can all see the illustration that Jesus gives, but what do, we, what do we apply that to? You know, Jesus, I believe, has given, hey, pray for Christians who will go out and work in the harvest. Pray for Christians who will go to their job and say, I'm not just a lineman today. No, I'm a Christian first, and I'm gonna talk to people about the Lord. I'm not just a business guy today. I'm not just a police officer today. I'm not just, what, I'm a retiree today, whatever it is. No, I am going to go out, and I'm going to be a Christian first, and I'm gonna talk to people about the Lord. And pray for laborers. Say, Pastor Dennis, what does it mean to, to pray for laborers? I think for us, it means tonight just praying that Christians would have courage to reach people with Christ. What are some things we can pray for? I wrote down a 10 or so. What are the things we can pray for for laborers? Well, I think number one, we can pray for laborers to actually go, for Christians to go out. For believers to have a burden to go out and talk to somebody about the Lord. For believers to go to their coworkers and go to work with the mindset of, I want to talk to somebody about the Lord. What do I pray for when I pray for laborers? God, help people, help Christians of Moses Lake Baptist, help Christians in Moses Lake to go out. Help them to go tell people. We pray. I think we could pray for, for laborers, for Christians, believers who are doing this, to have courage. And it takes courage to talk to people. I remember years ago telling my dad, when my dad would talk to us as young men in ministry and then even, even as a teenager, he'd talk about witnessing to people. And I remember him saying, well, just talk to him. And I'd say, dad, that's easy for you to say because you don't know a stranger. You're outgoing. And my dad would always say, no, I still have to work at it. I still have to, I still have to fight. I still have to ask God, God, give me some courage. And now that I'm, uh, you know, 
older and in ministry, people would say to me, well, Dennis, that's, that's easy for you. You're outgoing. No, you know what? There's times that I don't want to talk either. What do I need? I need courage. So what can I pray for? God, give believers courage to stand up. Give believers courage to speak up. Give us uh, praying for people to go, praying for people to have courage. I think praying for believers or laborers to have the right words to say. How do I pray for, we're talking about how do, I, how do I pray for laborers? Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. So praying that laborers would go out and praying that they'd have courage, but praying that they would know what to say. You ever been stumped? Man, I've been stumped before. I hate that. I hate that feeling when someone asks me a Bible question and I'm just stumped. Now, we have one of two choices when those things happen. One, we can make up an answer and lie. And that would be really good, right? You're trying to talk to them about needing Jesus and sin and all those things, and then you lie to them, and then later you're gonna be found out anyway. Yeah. Or we could say something like, you know, that's a great question. Can I get back to you on that? But better than that would be God to just say, hey, here's the right words. <laughs> you know what? We should be praying, God, give laborers the right words to speak. Help us to go, help us have courage, help us to have the right words. Praying for laborers to have compassion. We already talked about that. Praying for laborers not to get discouraged in the work. Praying for laborers to actually be engaged in the work. Not only to go, but to actually have eyes that say, I wanna see people around me and, and look for opportunities. Praying for laborers uh, to, to follow up on those opportunities. Praying for laborers to be faithful when they go. Not just going once or twice, but having a mindset that says, God, you've placed me in the fields every single day. Help me to see the lost around me. His one prayer request was, hey, pray for laborers. Pray that God would send forth laborers. But then also I see, I see the idea of praying for the harvest or praying, praying for the lost. I skipped over that quote there. I want to read it real quick. Instead of praying for an easier job, we are to be praying for more laborers. You know, sometimes we pray, God, could you just help this world get better? God, could you just help things to be better? Jesus, he never said, pray for things to be better. Now, did Paul reference, hey, praying for the peace of your, pray for the peace of your land? Yes, Paul referenced all of that. But when Jesus gave a prayer request, you know what Jesus said? Pray for people to go out into the fields. Maybe it'd be good for us to stop praying for, uh, now we should pray for our politicians and things like that. We, we, you all know my heart on all of that. But sometimes maybe our priority shouldn't be God put the right person in office. Maybe our priority should be God put the right person on the street. What's that? Put the right Christian on the street next to me that's gonna tell people about the Lord. And then I'm gonna pray for my politicians and I'm gonna pray for all of that stuff. You all understand what I'm saying tonight. We just neglect praying for laborers. What's the second point right there? Letter B, praying for the lost, praying for the harvest. Praying for the lost tonight is just praying that as Paul did, Paul in Romans chapter 10, he wrote to the believers at Rome. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
Romans chapter one, Paul said, I've got a burden that you would trust Christ and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's God's power and my heart is to come to you. And uh, Paul wrote wrote to the the believers at Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi and Colossae. He wrote to all of them, hey, I'm praying for you. And to many of them, I'm praying for you to be able to have courage. And it's one thing to be able to pray for others. But then in Romans, Paul said, hey, I'm praying for the lost. I'm praying that they would come to know him. And I'm praying that the lost would see the love of Christ. I'm praying that the lost would be open to the will of God and open to the message of God, right? Paul said, hey, pray because there's an effectual door open unto us. Pray that it stays open amongst the people of, of Achaia and amongst the people of the Macedonia region. Hey, let's pray for the lost, praying that they would see God's love, that they would be open, that they would be ready, praying for the lost to give attention to the word of God, praying for the lost to just get saved and praying for them to get reached. What are these things? These are one prayer request of Christ with kind of two thoughts. Pray for the harvest. Pray for the people that need me. But then pray that those who have me would actually go and tell the people who need me. One prayer request. You know what we do? We list out all of our other prayer requests. Now, does Jesus want to hear those things? Yeah. And does he want to hear the burden of your heart and my heart this week? Yes. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, let all your requests be made known. But when Jesus said, hey, I've got something for you to pray for, I think it'd be good for us to say, God, I'm going to keep that on the top of my prayer list. Praying for laborers, and I'm praying for lost people to come to know you as Savior. You know, as a pastor, every year we... uh, Every year we do our end of the city outreaches. And I'll be honest, there's some years I'm blown away by what God does. There's other years I'm really disappointed. I don't know if those of you that were here, but I think it was, it was, it was probably about four or five years ago. And um, if Micah was in here, he'd remember, he'd probably remember the exact date that it happened on. But uh, Micah, it was the first year, maybe it was four years ago, it was the first year that we really pushed all of our promotional uh, um, uh, social media online. And we, we pumped out, we put probably four or $500 just into online outreach. And that year, I think we had like 60,000 views on, on these certain uh, ads that we were doing. And that year we handed out... Um, I think it was 2017, if I remember right. We handed out like, I think like 16,000 invitations, handed invitations, blitz doors. It was a year, honestly, that I was just like, God is going to blow the doors open this year. Like we have, at that point, you know, by the the end of it, we knew that over, you know, 65,000 people had received or seen some sort of invitation to Community Sunday that year. And I remember the staff, we were excited. We were just, I mean, I remember meeting with leaders and just being pumped for that year and the outreach and everything that was taking place. And it might've been even the first year that we did the pancake fee. Like it was just one of those, it's gonna be an awesome year. You know how many guests showed up for Community Sunday? Zero. None. We had no first-time guests that Community Sunday. 
As a matter of fact, the attendance that Sunday was lower than our weekly average. Like we had regulars who come on Sunday morning that that Sunday didn't come. No one got saved. Kids class was down. Barbecue was, you know, not attended well. Tons of food left over, which people look at as a blessing. But when you're at a church fellowship, that's not a blessing. You want to be out of food, right? We had that many people that we had to run to the store four times, and that's why we had extra. I'll be honest. I remember after that service and after that day was done, I remember sitting on the front step right here, looking out and going, hey, God, um, what did we do wrong? And I remember I, I was, honestly, Brother Craig, I was kind of upset. I was like, we put all of this work in, we did. And you know what God reminded me of? God reminded me of, it's not about the, the work that goes into one day. It's about the faithfulness over the years. But you know what's super cool is a month later, two months later, we looked back and about two weeks after that community Sunday, we began having guests just about every week and we began seeing people saved just about every week. And many of them said, oh, we got invited to this community Sunday thing, but we had something going that day and we couldn't make it. So we, we decided to come three weeks later. You know what I was challenged with is just as a Christian, the harvest, us actually pulling the crop up, that's not up to us. Some water, some sow, some water, Others reap, God is the one who does what? He gives the increase. But what's the one thing God said we could do that would affect everything? Pray. Hey, pray for it. Pray for the lost. Pray for the laborers. Tonight I wanna close in a word of prayer and I wanna challenge us not to neglect his one prayer request. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.